sweat. You keep hurting your back, you keep giving all you're giving, and nobody gives check. But you keep on whistling, working, singing along. Now the sun starts shining and the skies turn gray. Gonna light one up and grab that old ashtray. Raise the glass high to the sky and call it a day. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always joined by Bryson and Jacob. And guys, normally I ask how you're doing, but every week since the lockout has started, every time I ask that, we end up talking about the lockout. So instead of that, I'm going to wish all you guys a happy new year. It's 2022, our first episode of 2022, but I'm also going to ask you one of your, what your new year's resolution is. If you have one, if you have multiple what is your New Year's resolution? Well, first of all, I think I'm going to go back to what you said in one of our group chats a couple weeks ago. Thank goodness there is no baseball going on right now due to the current state of the world. So that I'm happy for at the same time, just because it's been a tough, I guess, couple of weeks here, especially in Ontario for where Jacob and I are and you as well during school. But uh, my New Year's resolution, I think it was, uh, is unfortunately, I don't want to sound like Jacob, but I think it was a Blue Jays World Series in 2022. <laughs> See, I'm going to be honest, I forgot to make a New Year's resolution. I don't know why, but uh, I think the biggest thing is I need to I need to go to a home opener. Like, what, I don't care what team it is. Oh, that's I just, easy. I want to see one. Well, yeah, I'd like it to be the Blue Jays because I've been wanting to go for like a decade now, but I want to at least go to one of them. I don't care if I miss school or miss anything. I just want to see one type of home <laughs> opener because it just, it's always probably my favorite game of the year. I still can't believe you've never been to... A Jay's home opener. That's insane. I know. I've been wanting to for so long, but now I think now I finally am able to go, at least, you know, without any like adult supervision. So I'm definitely going to be making the trip down for one of those. Okay. Well, we'll be waiting eagerly to hear whether you go and hopefully we can all make it to one, um, assuming everything works out in the world that before um, we actually get to the point of the Blue Jays home opener. But um, for me, I guess a little bit different than you guys. I enjoy making New Year's resolutions, so I have a whole list of things I want to do this year. Um, there's a bunch. Um, some of them are about baseball, some about the podcast. Um, for one of them, I run every day. And I normally run 5K, but I'd like to run a little bit more because I've been running 5K for quite a while. So this year, my resolution is to hit 2,000 kilometers total, um, which works out to about 5.5K every day. So we'll see how that goes. Um, And then, of course, I'd like to go to Blue Jay games. Of course, that's uh, always on the resolution list. And um, yeah, at risk of sounding like Jacob, Blue Jays World (laughs) Series. So um, yeah, after uh, having that intro to try to avoid repeating ourselves with the lockout, we end up repeating ourselves with the Blue Jays World Series talk. Um, But (laughs) we will move on to our first topic of today. We had to scrounge for topics, but um, uh, Kyle Seeger has retired um, officially. He announced it, or his wife announced it on Twitter. And Blue Jays, I don't know if we ever heard if they had explicitly had interest in him, but he was always a name that could work out for them. Kind of an infielder, a guy who, yeah, he's older, but he fills some of the needs of the Blue Jays. And um, he's a left-handed bat. He can add that depth off the bench. He can 
Start a couple days. Um, it fit all the check boxes of what the Blue Jays were needing, even though it wasn't kind of that high impact player, high impact bat the Blue Jays wanted. Um, he's off the market now, given that he's retired, but um, it's a question of whether he would have been a good fit for the Blue Jays in the first place. Personally, I wouldn't have been complaining if the Blue Jays signed him, but he's not the ideal pick for them to get because, um, as we mentioned, he's not that high impact guy that we really want them to get. He's not that you know, Matt Chapman, Jose Ramirez, that type of guy, even on still in the market, Carlos Correa, even though that's out of the Blue Jays price point. He's not that type of guy who's going to impact the Blue Jays a lot. So personally, for me, if the Blue Jays signed him, wouldn't have been too much of a fan of the deal, even though um, he does fit all the Blue Jays needs. I mean, at the end of the day, this is to some extent, I think you can call him a power hitter because I mean, 242 home runs since or in his career so it's it actually spanned a decade since 2011 not bad I mean he obviously had a couple years where he hit 30 home runs 35 I think was two years ago or I know that was this year last season in 2020 it was shortened so obviously not as many but it it wouldn't have been a bad move I don't think but if if you look at it in the case of if you acquire Kyle Seeger you're not going to get Jose Ramirez, you're not going to get somebody else, then I would say that save the money and sign somebody else. Just because at the end of the day, if you can say you get Jose Ramirez, you trade for him, he is on an expiring contract, so you'd have to work something out there. But if you get him and you can get him for longer, that's probably a better deal for the Blue Jays. And it's not an awful option. I mean, it is a third baseman. It does fit their needs. But considering that there are better options that could be around longer, I think that's something you would have to look at because who knows, Kyle Seager could have easily delayed his retirement a year or two and stayed with the Blue Jays. I mean, who knows if there was a lot of interest, but say that was the case, you're in the same position in a couple of years, even if you have prospects coming up. And just, I think that the, the way that this team is built right now, you kind of want to have as much stability as you can for the future. And if you're going to acquire a guy that's probably on the brink of retiring, maybe not the best option even if he would be a good player for this season and I know we talk about World Series and how the Blue Jays might just be one piece away from it I'm not saying Kyle Seager isn't that piece but I think that there are better pieces out there well eventually will be out there once the lockout ends but uh, once deals can be made I think that there there would have been better options just considering that there are maybe higher price points for Jose Ramirez all those types of guys but if you can acquire an impact player like that I wouldn't substitute that for somebody like Kyle Seeger. And that's not a disrespect to him. It's just the Blue Jays need a very high-impact player, and I, I think that there are better options available for them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the potential of Kyle Seeger ever coming here, I think it was, and Jacob, you touched on it too, I think it was more of a plan, kind of a fallback plan, and something that would have probably had to be done if they missed out on those top guys that you mentioned. And of course, the top guy in that was somebody like Jose Ramirez. So, you know, a little bit of a surprise, but clearly uh, for Kyle Seeger, he came to peace after the Mariners declined his club option for this upcoming year. And uh, after that, it was obviously safe to assume that regardless, he wasn't going to be back with the Seattle Mariners at all, even on a cheaper deal. So uh, it appears that I guess he just wanted to retire a Seattle Mariner, and you can't fault him for that. I mean, 11 solid years in the MLB, and he did really well as much as 2021 was one of his worst seasons um, in a while. So I, it, 
it was a tough way for him, I guess, in his last season ever. But overall, a solid career for him. And, you know, he would have been a, a good option, I think, for the Jays, again, if they missed out on a couple of key pieces. He would have been a pretty good leader. You know, he, he seems like a good leader in the clubhouse, somebody that you like to be around and everything like that. So Kyle Seeger, you know, again, a great career. Um, something that, you know, I, we know that the Jays, there wasn't really a report that the Jays were or showed interest. It was more that he would have been a good fit here if, you know, certain uh, plans above him didn't happen. And that would have been a good fallback option, maybe something that you kind of like a last resort or kind of like a last minute move um, that that you decide to go with. So a little bit surprising that uh, he did retire, though, definitely caught me off guard, even uh, if it wasn't going to be even if he wasn't going to be back with the Mariners next season. So, you know, that's, I guess, one name you can cross off uh, during a lockout, which is definitely rare because everything's supposed to not happen. But technically, a name off the board for the Jays, uh, I guess a potential fit in the infield. But again, at the same time, with this lockout, lots of guys will be available afterwards. So the Jays will be able to get right back at it, even without Kyle Seager being there. But um, again, great career for him. 11 solid years in the MLB. And for him, he gets to retire Seattle Mariner. And uh, he gets to say that he played every year of his career with one team. So good for him on that. And um, again, a little bit of a shock, but that's okay because we know for a fact that he wasn't a plan A or a plan B for the Jays. So it's not like the top guy on the board is gone. It's just that somebody that they could have potentially fell back on is going to be gone. So uh, that's pretty much where the Jays stand. So I don't really think much changes for them on that point. We all know coming out of the lockout, they will be prioritizing an infielder, maybe a little bit more a starting pitcher as well. So everything on their target board or everything on their board post-lockout remains intact and uh, they still have a lot of options and they have a lot of potential to improve prior to spring training yeah I think if you're looking for the biggest impact of this news on the Blue Jays it might just be the fact that the market now for infielders for guys on the left side of the infield is smaller there's there's less targets Um, I know it's only one guy but it maybe means some team who may have been focusing on getting a replacement level player like Kyle Seeger, who, you know, he's he's better than replacement level. He was worth two war in 2021, be at an OPS plus of right around league average, exactly league average at 100. So a team that may have been looking at a guy like that, maybe now that Kyle Seeger's off the board, they have to go after someone that the Blue Jays might be going after, whether it's Jose Ramirez, like we said, whether that's Matt Chapman um, with the athletics. Um, so I, I, I think that's maybe the biggest impact of this is just it makes the market smaller and makes it so that the Blue Jays, if they are trying to target one of these guys, they may have to compete with another team and pay a little bit more in terms of trade assets, in terms of money on the free agent market for these guys. So again, very small news on the Blue Jays side of things, but when it's a lockout and these kind of news um, things are, are rare, we got to milk it for all it's worth. Um, another thing that's happening and another thing we're going to milk for all it's worth is the fact that Tyler Chatwood Former Blue Jay great is moving on to Japan. He signed with the team there this past week. And um, I just want to go around briefly and discuss our favorite memories of Tyler Chatwood as a Blue Jay. Because I know we cherish them near and dear to our hearts. Um, He had a lot of great moments in a Blue Jay uniform that we smile when we think of. And uh, maybe the only moment that we actually smile when we think of Tyler Chatwood is the moment that the Blue Jays got rid of him. But uh, nonetheless, I want to go around and talk about our favorite moments of Tyler Chatwood as a Blue Jay. I I guess I can start. I think it's his uh, blown save in, I guess it was at Fenway Park in June, I think it was. Um, It was a game that I was at, so that's why 
it is near and dear to my heart. But he came in. The Blue Jays were winning 5-3 at that point, I think. I think he walked two batters, hit a batter, and threw a wild pitch and came out of the game. So uh, that was one of the, one example of a sterling effort from um, from Tyler Chatwood. But Jacob Bryson, what are some of your guys' favorite memories of Chatwood now that he is moving on from Major League Baseball? Well, I just want to briefly mention, not a single run from that game in Boston was actually charged to Tyler Chatwood. They were all charged to Ross Stripling. And I was actually going to pick that, but I don't want to uh, completely copy you, but I just... The fact that those runs were not even charged to him just made that hilarious to me. Hilarious in like an unfortunate way, but you get the point. But I think the number one bad moment, but also favorite moment, I think you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, the game in Cleveland, where maybe it's not entirely Tyler Chatwood's fault. He should have been pulled. Blame that a little bit on the manager, but... How do you walk, what was it, four straight batters, five straight batters? Like, Mark, you talk about you want to run every day. This guy, <laughs> he did that for you just on the field. Like, the walks and the runs charged to him. Like, it's it was just, it was absolutely brutal to watch. And they were winning that game. And, yeah, they were winning at the time. It was a doubleheader, so they had one le- or two less innings to play. And this guy, he comes in and he just blows the save, just completely blows the game. And it came at a bit of a shock because I believe that was one of the first appearances where he started to to start uh start like uh, slacking and you know his, his ERA started to inflate a little bit but that was really shocking because his ERA was under 1 it was like 0.58 for the first 6 weeks of the season and then out of nowhere this stuff just happens and th- that just has to be the absolute epitome of the Blue Jays season it was almost there they almost were good enough and then it just it unfortunately with Tyler Chatwood uh, it's not what it, it it didn't go the way that we wanted to and that game it just it, it's near and dear to my heart in a bad way but you know you, you talk about how this team was one win away from qualifying for the playoffs you're one less walk away from that and to me that just it has to be my favorite moment but the one thing i will say like the Tyler Chatwood slander it's kind of funny and all but i do wish him the best i do hope he can at least turn his career around but it's not going to be with the blue jays and unfortunately because of what we're discussing is to some extent for good reason and it won't be in the MLB either but uh, for Tyler Chatwood yeah I mean you guys kind of highlighted the key dates Uh, May 30th was that Cleveland game where he walked five he gave up two earned runs and an inning and a third Uh, his very next appearance that came on June 4th against the Houston Astros didn't record a single out uh, gave up six hits five earned runs one of that was a home run as well so that was his very next outing. You'd figure he'd want to bounce back. You know, the best part about baseball is you get to play every day. You get to redeem yourself. That didn't happen. And uh, another game you could look back on and say maybe that's why the Jays didn't make the playoffs because of June 4th against the Houston Astros. Uh, June 25th against the Baltimore Orioles. One out recorded, three earned runs in that span. Uh, there's another one right there. And then I think Canada Day was the finale for Tyler Chatwood before he went on the IL and then he was later DFA'd. So... Point two innings, so he got two outs, two earned runs in that span with two walks. That was his last appearance uh, as a member of the Blue Jays. But my favorite moment of Tyler Chatwood, even though I guess this wasn't him as a part of the Blue Jays organization, it was just still kind of funny to see from, I guess, social media or kind of seeing the the box score in that game was August 18th when he was a member of the San Francisco Giants, his very first appearance. He comes out of the bullpen, pitches two innings, Gives up uh, five runs in that span, three earned runs, 
And uh, that, for me, was probably my favorite moment because it was good to know that it wasn't a Blue Jays curse because a lot of people believe that is might, that might be a thing for certain people. He went out for the San Francisco Giants, who were almost, I think, a 100-win team in 2021. He also blew his first appearance to the New York Mets on that date. So that's probably my favorite moment, just to know that it wasn't just the Jays that he was a, a disaster with, unlike somebody like Brad Hand, because we know that for some reason, ever since he put on a Jays uniform and he completely turned into uh, one of the worst pitchers that they've, I guess, in the franchise in terms of ERA and whatnot, and in at least in some certain memory. So that's probably my favorite favorite moment was August 18th, his first appearance, but he was a member of the San Francisco Giants. I'm surprised none of you went with his appearance against the Tampa Bay Rays when I guess it was him and it was a Travis Bergen who came in and walked a bunch of guys. Um that was up there on my favorite list of May 23rd. Tyler Chatwood, but May 23rd, there you go. I think that was pretty much like his first kind of catastrophic outing, and everything, like you said, it snowballed from there. The May 30 outing against Cleveland, and then heading into Houston, and then going to Boston, and yeah, just not a good time for Tyler Chatwood, but you know, all joking aside, we do wish him the best in Japan, and you never know. It's always possible. He goes to Japan, figures it out for a couple years, comes back to Major League Baseball. We've seen other players have success. Bryson, you look terrified at that prospect. <laughs> We've seen other players have success doing that. Eric Thames is the first guy who comes to mind. Went over to Japan, had success, came back, had success. Um, Jacob, you're typing Rafael Dolis. That's another name that maybe Blue Jay fans won't be happy to hear. Um, a similar type of career path, but yeah, it's always possible he comes back and we do wish him the best of luck. And, um, you know, all joking aside, he does have the potential to be a good pitcher. And we saw that at the start of 2021, where he went on a stretch of 10, 15 outings where he was lights out for the Blue Jays. And he became one of those guys who's in that circle of trust for however short a time before he kind of imploded in Cleveland and in Tampa and against Tampa Bay and in Houston. So uh, we'll see. We wish him the best of luck. Um, <clears throat> we now turn to, um, I guess, the big conversation for today, which is Charlie Montoyo. And no, Montoyo has not done anything to make any headlines, <laughs> but he is actually entering the last year of his three-year contract. The Blue Jays brought him on board in 2019. He played 2019, 2020, 2021. Blue Jays picked up an option that he had for 2022, but that's his last season um, that he's under contract for with the Blue Jays. Um, I guess to, just to start off with, before we get to the the conversation of whether the Blue Jays should give him an extension, um, let's look back at the past three years and evaluate the job that Charlie Montoyo has done because there's always talk about Montoyo and his on-field decisions and criticism of all that stuff. But you look past back at the past three years, and 2019, you can excuse that, first year in the majors, he doesn't have a good team. The Blue Jays are not good in 2019. 2020, they start to be good. He starts to get criticism for his on-field decisions. The Blue Jays do make the playoffs, but it's an expanded playoffs. And then 2021, we all know the story of that year. The Blue Jays are a very good team. Again, he does get criticism for his on-field decisions. Most of it, in my opinion, can be excused as bad bullpen arms, period. Not bad bullpen management. Um, but then we go into 2022 looking at this contract. So um, how are you guys so far 
as kind of a status check-in, viewing Charlie Montoyo's tenure as Blue Jays manager and the job he's done so far. So I'm not saying that correlation automatically equals causation, but the vast majority of the criticism that I've seen for Montoyo occurs when the team is not playing well. And I mean when they're unable to play well. And I think I mentioned this maybe towards the end of the season. And I said, look at the lack of criticism that we've seen for Charlie Montoyo since the team has gotten good. So maybe since the all-star break or or the, the trade deadline when they acquired Barrios and all those guys, I think that says something to some extent There were definitely decisions, you go back to 2020, some of those moves where he told a guy to run to third or to try and steal home or steal third, do things, and mismanaging the bullpen that absolutely baffle my mind, but I don't think that he's a bad manager. I'll be honest, I really don't, and I think he deserves to stay here at least for another season. He does, you come back from 2023, or 2022, excuse me, and then I think you re- no, yes, you come back for 2023, exercise that option- reevaluate after that. I don't think he's worthy of an extension right now, but I'm not willing to say go look for a new manager because as you said with 2019, I think you can excuse that. He was a relatively a rookie manager at that point. He had never managed in the majors. I don't think that that means you still can make mistakes, but I'm saying it it's understandable and it's kind of expected, but that team was also bad, like even even from a fan's perspective, like it was not good standings wise. And you can't necessarily say that that's the manager's fault. 2020, same thing. I still think that if it was a full year, there'd be a lot of growing pains, but still the team was able to rally back. And then 2021, when you have two guys in your starting rotation and you have more, more pitchers on your injured list than you do in your bullpen, that's not your manager's fault. And yeah, you can still put the wrong guy in at the wrong time, but I don't think that you can fully blame Montoyo for all these things. And so that's why I, I do think that he's deserving of staying for another couple seasons. At least at least give him those two. If he still doesn't do as well, yeah, that might hurt the team. I'm sure it would. But I think the prospect of him being a good manager and and getting better probably outweighs the risk of really him not being a better manager. And one of the things that we're forgetting is he's not just the guy that makes decisions. He's also the leader of that clubhouse and he's been here he went to three different cities with the team uh, this season or, or last season was there with them in Dunedin and Buffalo in 2020 you know he's been here really since the rebuild started and I don't think that that's fair to say you know we can nitpick a few little things you're gone I think there it still does make some sense to keep him around I know that there's a lot of people that want him gone I remember one game that I had gone to they had lost and it wasn't even Montoya's fault. Like, they lost, yeah, they lost to Baltimore, but I think Ryu gave up, like, five runs in, in a single inning. And there was, a like, a fire Montoya chant outside of the stadium. And I just remember, like, I didn't say anything. I'm not going to get involved. But it, it that type of stuff just hurts my brain, really, to think that people still blame Montoya for the losses. But regardless, I think if you can look at this from a unbiased perspective or as neutral of a perspective as you as you can really even though I am a fan Montoyo does have work to do but I think he deserves to stay at least to prove himself and at least to to say that you know what we did in 2021 that's not finished we can I know the standings are a little weird in the way it's it goes but you can have a better season you go into 2022 with a full rotation a good bullpen you know you have a star-studded infield and outfield I think that Montoyo can handle this team, and I think he's capable of of doing so, really. Yeah, injuries are going to mess with you, and 
there's a lot of different things that happen throughout the season, but I don't think that it's fair to say Montoya doesn't deserve at least another season or two to prove himself. Um, yeah, you know what? I think my overall evaluation of Charlie Montoya as well, I'm a little bit more, I guess I'm a little bit more in favor of him than you are, Jacob. I'm more closer to that conversation of a long-term deal. I just look at it from a lot of different perspectives, and I understand the criticism he does get, but all three of us had many discussions about these bullpen games last year, and we did. And pretty much outside of a few other, a few specific games, going back to Tyler Chatwood, that May 30th game was one of those games where we full out blamed Charlie Montoyo for the bullpen management. But majority of the other situations that we spoke of, uh, none of us blamed him really for most of it because of look at the or if you look at the bullpen at the beginning of 2021 you can see the the problems that it did have you can see how weak it was on paper and understandably so i mean there was only so much that charlie montoyo could have done i mean i don't know what people were looking for other than a scapegoat to blame somebody because that's how it works in sports it's always somebody's fault when the team is failing and in this case charlie montoyo is an easy target for that a lot of Blue Jays fans, uh, I guess, at the time when he came in, were kind of, un you know, it took them a while to move on from somebody like John Gibbons, because as much as he was criticized a lot, too, he was more of a fan favorite at the time. And I think that Charlie Montoyo stepping in kind of, you know, tainted his image a little bit because of that. And um, I think it was kind of unfair. And it's the same thing goes with Alex Anthopoulos and the way Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins came in here. A lot of fans kind of were against the change, against the the shift, I guess, in leadership in the organization. And all of a sudden, after a couple of years of Shapiro and Atkins buying on the free agent market, all of a sudden they are now deemed as, you know, heroes in this city for the team that they put together. So maybe Charlie Montoya will eventually reach that territory. But entering this year alone, I think it'll be an even bigger test for him because of how Jacob closed the or closed his point off. The bullpen itself, the team itself, is much better at the beginning of the year than it was in 2021. So, if these, I guess, occurrences happen this year as well, you know, assuming that you know certain relievers don't have a down year, I'm assuming that everyone pitches well, and um, you know, cert, you know, if there's games that happen the same way that 2021 happened, then I think criticism for Charlie Montoya will definitely go up. However, with the the roster that they've built this year, or at least heading into this year, and they're probably going to add a few more also eventually, uh, pieces to their bullpen, maybe a little bit more. They did add Yemi Garcia before the lockout, so he's one guy that was added, but there might be a few more on the way. This is a much better bullpen coming into this year. And for the fact that Charlie Montoyo is well-liked well in the clubhouse and well-received without the organization, nobody can take away the fact of how good of a leader he is, regardless if you agree with his decisions or not. This is a different point now of how he is as a person, how he is in the clubhouse. You, t you talk about the challenges that this team has been through since 2020, pretty much being away from Toronto until July 30th of this year. He kept the team together. He kept things going. Um, you know, after 2019, they almost lost 100 games. That's pretty much what it was, 67 to 95. Anybody could have managed that team and pretty much have the same record as him. So that's a complete write-off for me. 2020, however, uh, they finished 32 and 28 in 60 games. That's obviously a, a massive turnaround, kind of exceeding expectations for the, that we all had about this team because we felt like it would have definitely been a step forward. But a playoff appearance is not what we expected, and this was before the announcement of Jacob's famous expanded playoffs uh, format that he loved. But of course, entering 2021, the expectations even even rose even more. But for some reason, Charlie Montoyo continued to get um, a lot of criticism. And I just think a lot of it, unfortunately, and most of it, 
was unfair. I just look at the leader he was as well, keeping this team together throughout the years of them being away from Toronto and kind of holding them intact. And even at the point before they came home, the the team was pretty much hovering around 500 uh, at the time they did come home. And a lot of people thought those final two months were kind of going to, it was just kind of going to be more like a celebration that the Jays were back. And the, the fact that, you know, them contending for a playoff spot didn't seem realistic, but this team ran the table when they came home. They won on their playoff push, even though they fell short by one game, they got that close to getting in. And, you know, minus a few hiccups they had in that span, they were pretty much winning ball games left, right, and center. And that's why it was so easy for that team to crack um, at that point in the season. Because when a lot of failure happens, especially in baseball around that summer, that early summer mark, and that's where the Jays were at. They were hovering around 500 and they were having games that they lost because of the bullpen. It was so, it could have been so easy for this team to fall apart in shambles and kind of just never regain their rhythm. But that was the complete opposite. And if you can't, you know, praise Charlie Montoya or give Charlie Montoya some credit for that, uh, I think that's unfair because I think he definitely deserves a lot of credit for turning this team around and and pretty much what they did. As much as them coming home was definitely a push to everyone, but it was just, I think, a lot of unfair criticism for him. So if you're going to ask me the question about a long-term deal or if that's what Mark will be asking eventually, I do think after 2022, if everything, again, barring any last-minute, you know, failures that happen this year if you know you have if he's mismanaging the bullpen again with this type of bullpen I think we'll have a different conversation next year but if everything goes to plan and if he kind of approaches this year you know and of course he's going to improve himself and of course there's little things that he will improve and he he has to learn from and no one's denying that because nobody's perfect especially Charlie Montoyo but if he handles the bullpen the way he did I think at the end of 2021 and pretty much for the entire year, and the Jays, you know, expecting expected to make the playoffs, expected to win at least 90 games, how do you not give him a long-term deal? I mean, I, I don't see how you don't, if that's the case. Again, barring any failure of a season, which we don't want to talk about, but of course, you can't rule out that slim possibility, there's no other reason for me not to believe that he doesn't deserve a long-term deal. So for me, uh, the evaluation and kind of the analysis that I have of Charlie Montoya ever since stepping in, I think he came in on tough circumstances, again, managing a team that almost lost 100 games, but he deserves some of that credit and a lot of that credit for turning the team around in 2020, 2021, pretty much being borderline playoff contenders last year, and he he deserves credit for that, and this year alone, they're supposed to be even better, so not giving a manager a long-term deal, winning at least 90 games... I'm not sure what the expectation level is for that, but I think if everything goes to plan, there's no reason why he's not eligible or why he doesn't deserve a long-term deal. Yeah, I think 2022 will be a big deciding factor for the Blue Jays and Montoyo. Um, not that, like, like right now, I, I can't see them parting ways with Charlie Montoyo when, or any manager for that matter, for on any major league team when they have such good control of the clubhouse and the clubhouse is in such a good state. I I can't see any team willingly moving on from someone who has done such a good job in that regard. So keeping that in mind, I think 2022 will be a big deciding factor because the expectations are so high for the Blue Jays. I think, you know, we're a couple weeks slash months away from our prediction episode, but I think we're all going to be around 95, 97 wins. The expectations are high for the Blue Jays, and Jacob indicating that he's going even higher than that. The expectations are high for the Blue Jays, so 2022 is going to be a big year for them and Charlie Montoyo. If Charlie Montoyo comes out and he has 
Um, management of the bullpen, like you're saying, Bryson, he manages everything perfectly without a doubt. They're keeping him around for 2023 and beyond. But if he comes out and they do have the same struggles with a better team that they had in 2021, that's when you open up the question and say, maybe we it's time to move on. Maybe it's time to shop the market. We are a contending team. We're a team that everyone wants to be a part of. Let's see the best manager that we can get on the open market. But Again, until some sort of collapse happens, until he loses control of the clubhouse, until this team is not as close as it once was, I just don't see the Blue Jays parting ways with someone who has been such a key part of them since 2019, since Vladdy came up, since Bo Bichette came up, since almost Kevin Biggio came up, since almost Danny Jansen came up. All these guys who are such a key part of this team know Charlie Montoyo. They've worked with him. They've had success with him. I don't see the Blue Jays moving on from someone like that unless something drastic happens in 2022. Um, that something drastic, I think, could be someone else coming onto the market. Um, I think, you know, Charlie Montoyo is this perfect guy that the Blue Jays front office likes, but I think there is, you know, there are top-of-the-line managers that only come around once every once in a while that the Blue Jays might be interested in. Whether that's someone like Alex Cora, I don't think he's leaving Boston anytime soon, but that's one of those guys that come to mind. Whether that's someone like Bob Melvin, I don't think he's leaving San Diego anytime soon, but that's another guy who's one of those top-of-the-line managers. Um, some of those guys, I could see the Blue Jays, if an opportunity presented itself, I could see the Blue Jays moving on from someone like Charlie Montoyo, just because those guys are in a whole nother level. But for right now, I mean... This guy has the keys to the team as long as he wants it, barring anything dramatic. Um, again, I've I think I've brought up this example before, but when I think of Charlie Montoya and I think of how close this team was, it's for me the first thing that pops into my mind is the All Star Game this year when um, you know everyone else disappeared basically, and Blue Jays players once they were removed from the game. They stayed in the dugout to watch the game. And after the game, when Vladdy won the Most Valuable Player Award for the All-Star Game, all the players who were at the All-Star Game for the Blue Jays, Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette, and Teoscar Hernandez, they all came out on the field and watched the award ceremony for Vladdy and then celebrated with him on the field after the fact. So, obviously not all of that is Charlie Montoyo. Part of that is just the players on the team and the chemistry they have. But the chemistry and the attitude starts with the leader, and the leader is Charlie Montoyo. So I fully approve of what he's doing. So the next question, I guess, is how long do you want him to stick around? And that's a more complicated question. And and to answer the question of when the Blue Jays should offer this extension is also a more complicated question. Because I think personally, you have to see part of 2022 to make that decision. Like right now, like I just said, you can be pretty certain with what you have in Charlie Montoya and pretty confident in who he is as a manager. But to me, you still want to see with the expectations being so high for 2022, what he has to offer in at least the first few months of the season. So I think once it gets to June, July, and he is checking all the boxes as I anticipate he will, I think that's the point where the Blue Jays go, okay, three years, four-year deal, five-year deal to be manager of this team long-term. Um that's what I would like to see the Blue Jays take as an approach to sign Charlie Montoya long-term. Where do you guys stand as to when the Blue Jays should make this extension or make this decision and how long it should be if they should? See, the way I'm looking at it, and I was going to mention this earlier, but I guess it fits better here. I think that the 
the Blue Jays trust Montoyo. The players trust him. The front office trusts him. They know he can make the right decision when the situation is good. Like, you can choose a closer, obviously, when you have a guy that has lights out stuff. But I think that the team will know that he's the guy that will stay here when he proves that he can manage the team when it's kind of in shambles. So, you mentioned last year how obviously Tyler Chatwood started off extremely well fell off the face of the earth, and that was mismanaged. Say going into 2022, I don't want to say any names, but you don't want to speak anything into existence, but say somebody that was key for this team, the uh, submarine guy, just going to put that out. Say he has a down season. Does Charlie Montoya still trust him? Does he, you know, does he do something, I don't know, send him to the minors or, you know, how does he handle something like that? If you you have something unexpected and Montoya is able to manage that or, maybe not put somebody in high leverage situations when they prove they can't. What does he do there? That That's, I think, what I'm looking for, is how does he manage these types of situations? And if he can prove he can, I think maybe this is a bit longer, but I st- say you keep him around until the management shifts. And when I say management, I mean the front office. So, you know, Shapiro and Atkins are here for another, I think, what is it, like five or plus years? You know, they're here for a while. I don't see why you don't take him out or why you... Why you why you don't replace him or why you replace him while the management is still here because obviously they all like each other they've been here the Shapiro and Atkins took over when John Gibbons was still the manager but the reason why they switched him wasn't necessarily because he was a bad manager which I actually thought he was a good manager for a variety of different reasons that Montoyo's you know he's a different person so whatever but the reason why they switched him was because this was a different team like it was rebuilding it was kind of a turnover of the roster and if the roster's the same, relatively speaking, you know, with obviously some differences, but if it's mostly the same group, I don't see why you get rid of them. I say you keep them around maybe until, I would say, the next five years, as long as he's able to prove that he's he's capable of it, just until Shapiro and Atkins leave. Now, the one thing that does make it difficult, and we've seen this over the last three-ish plus years, is a lot of players are signing decade-long extensions. And so when I said... You have him kind of with this group of players. Obviously, you're not going to have him till he's in his 70s or 80s if Guerrero signs a 15-year extension. But <laughs> I think if you can keep him around for the five years, get through this competitive schedule, it, as long as he can prove that he's capable of handling it, I think that's the perfect decision. And you don't want to be going through new managers every couple seasons. You know what I mean? Like this isn't, it's not like the bullpen where it's as expendable as as really as you make of it. And it can change each year. You want to keep your manager you want to keep him consistent and only replace him if if you absolutely have to. And I think if Montoyo proves that he can manage the team through the adversity and the and the benefit or the the good times of this team, I don't see why you get rid of him until, you know, it is 2022 right now. I say 2027 maybe if he signs a 5-year or 2028 if he signs an extension something like that i'll tell you one thing and i'll say it again because i know that for sure the people there are some people who are listening who do not like charlie montoyo it is very bold and very uncharacteristic i don't think it's really even happened before other than maybe like a mutual way of parting ways but there's never been a managerial change for a team that's won at least 90 games again unless it's some sort of retirement or anything like that you don't see that so i don't know how you do that and jacob going back to your point of like you know him possibly hand or seeing how he'll handle maybe some sort of adversity in 2022 i think he's kind of hit 
I think he's peaked at that. Like, I think everything that he's dealt with is the worst he will deal with. Again, that 2019 team, he had to deal with people like uh, Clay Buckholes and Wilmer Font in his starting rotation. He had to deal with someone like Edwin Jackson, who's been on, what, like two, 20, 20 teams, and he he made eight appearances for this team at an ERA of 11. Like, he had to deal with, you know, a lot of old names who have, we haven't heard of people in a while, but if you just look at that 2019 roster and that bullpen in particular, it is a mess. And especially in 2020, he did, you know, a better job. Again, the team wasn't as good as it was last year. But again, it's a step forward. Nothing could be as worse as what he dealt with in 2019. And in 2021, dealing with people like, um, you know, Tyler Chatwin and Rafael Dolis, who was one of their key players the year before, that's a lot of... You know, that's a lot of adversity, in my opinion, for what he had to deal with, because that is something that was not expected entering the year because they were they came into 2021 alone, expected to have bigger roles than what they did the year before. And all of them pretty much, or at least Dolis in particular, and somebody like Chatwood, who they brought in, completely fell off a cliff. And then you're looking throughout the rest of the bullpen during that time in the season, and you're wondering who the heck is going to come in. And, you know, you had people like Anthony Castro coming in for saves, and that didn't last really that long either. So I think that the fact that the, the, the bullpen itself on paper entering this year looks a lot better, I'd be very surprised if anything got to, you know, a certain level of what it did in 2020 and 2000 or 2021 and 2020. Now for a contract approach, I think the thing with this, and I agree with you, Mark, because I do think we have to see how it looks like in 2022, because the whole base of this and this initial contract that he signed to be here, it was kind of like a wait and see approach. You know, I think the part that kind of makes that obvious is that he had a club option for this year and, you know, for a rookie manager having to sign a club option, that's definitely a little bit of pressure. And that's something that you don't really want to, you know, that could either go either way. And it's pretty much up to the team. It's nothing out of, and it's completely out of your control if you're going to be back or not. So the fact that they exercised that, I think it was right at the beginning of the year uh, when they actually, it might've even been during spring training last year, but they did it early on in the season, guaranteeing that he would be back next year. I think in this case, I think you do have to see a little bit of um, how he handles things. And again, he's going to have a lot more weapons uh, to use from the bullpen that are going to be more effective. And what I'm trying to say is as much as we don't criticize him as much as other fans do, especially from last year, he's definitely going to have a little bit more pressure because the amount of, you know, you can, you can't, you can look on the, again, the bullpen and see, you know, a lot of it, like, what do you want him to do? But in this case, in 2022, if everything goes according to plan with certain pitchers, you can only blame him for so much in this case. So that's why I think the excuses are going to start slowly running out of, you know, reasons to kind of give or not blame him for everything. And that's why I think, though, for him in particular, he might do, he is going to do a better job because he's going to have better players. So I think if he proves that as well to not even just the management, but to the fans as well to kind of slowly earn their trust in some sort of way, I do think at some point throughout the year he will get a long-term deal or a long-term deal or an offer. But I do think it will be... it. it at least three to five years, I agree with Jacob, and maybe five years being the highest they'll go. And we never really see teams break the bank for a manager. So it's not like we're going to see like a decade-long deal like Jacob was talking about for people like Vladdy, but, uh, which makes sense, obviously, for him. But I think, yeah, three anywhere in that range from three to five years is what we'll see. And a lot of it has a lot, it has a lot to do with what 
Mark Shapiro's contract and Ross Atkins' contract are too, because you have to assume that they're all going to be kind of on similar timelines, because that's usually how it happens in terms of a an entire regime. I don't think Ross Atkins' new deal is actually kind of, I don't think we really know how long he's going to be here for. I think that was kind of unknown when it was announced at some point last year, or a couple years ago, but we know Mark Shapiro signed for five years. So I assume it's going to be around that four to five year range if he does get it, barring any last minute meltdowns or kind of failures that we're not expecting or we don't anticipate to happen I think it'll be around four to five years if all goes according to plan if everything stays the course he'll be here long term and he's going to match up with again the Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins regime because it only makes sense especially that he would be fresh off his rookie contract as a manager he's proven himself to the organization so he does deserve to be there I think as long as people like Shapiro and Atkins are planning to be here for boy Clay Buckle to Edwin Jackson Wilmer Font. those are some throwback names and Wilmer Font yeah those are some throwbacks. I remember those Edwin Jackson starts. Dark days in Blue Jay history. But yeah, if you can manage through that, if you can manage through COVID and not playing in your home ballpark for 600 plus days and all the things that the Blue Jays went through in 2021, um, having it be one of the wildest years in recent memory for Blue Jays, um, if you can manage through all that, I, I think you're right that he has already kind of hit rock bottom in a sense of team morale of tough adversity that you're going to have to go through and he's come out on the other side of it with a team that is closer than ever stronger than ever so at the risk of repeating ourselves yeah I think I think he's been through those challenges but I I I think the one challenge he hasn't been through is managing a team with expectations as high as the 2022 Blue Jays will be so that's the one test he hasn't passed yet and I'd like to see him pass that before the Blue Jays extend him but one question and this is just a quick response from you guys. The Blue Jays have nothing else to do right now. The Blue Jays can't talk to players about signing them. They can't talk to other teams about trading for players. Because they have nothing else to do, do you think it's possible that they're working at an extension with Montoyo right now in this offseason during the lockout because they have nothing else to do? Well, if you wanted a couple months to negotiate, now you have it. So, I mean, it's... I'm going to say they probably are. I mean, at least internally, maybe not with Montoyo. Maybe it's Atkins and Shapiro talking, but eventually it would obviously go to Montoyo. But I wouldn't be surprised if there is some type of discussions uh, with respect to what do we do with this guy? He's, you know, he's eventually we're going to have to either resign or replace. So might as well consider it now. I do feel like maybe there's pl- preliminary discussions. I think that's the word that Ross Atkins loves, loves to use. So maybe, and I still would be very surprised if it got... Well, I wouldn't say very. i say probably a little bit surprised if it did get done before the lockout. But I will say this. If it did happen within the next few weeks or pretty much the stretch of this lockout, I also wouldn't be mad or I wouldn't be against it. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe earlier preliminary discussions. It would give us something to talk about, that's for sure. I would not complain if the Blue Jays just periodically next week, they extend Charlie Montoya. A week after that, Pete Walker... Week after that, they announced the Blue the Rogers Center renovations. Just one thing every week that we can talk about would be wonderful. Um, but that's pretty much everything we have to talk about for this week. Um, so as always, you can support our podcast by going to patreon.com slash section138pod. You can check out our podcast on iTunes and Spotify where you can rate and review us, which again, just helps spread the word about what we're doing to help get our podcast in front of new faces 
which is always awesome. Um, if you listen to our podcast on those platforms or other platforms, you can find it on YouTube and watch all of our reactions to all of the stupid things that other people are saying. And then if you watch it on YouTube, you can always listen to it on other platforms. So we'll be back next week with hopefully something to talk about. We'll catch you then. Peace.